Welcome to Sharing the Magic, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting worlds of Disney. Each week, we're joined by a special guest. Whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment or a Disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth. Together, we'll uncover the stories, inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sharing the Magic. I'm your host, Barry. This podcast is looking for those diamonds in the rough and how we can bring their story of Disney to life and how they are woven into the Disney history. And tonight is no different. Tonight, we have a guest who's a writer, he's an editor, and he's also a historian and a YouTube content creator. But before we introduce him, we're going to introduce our co-host tonight, and we're going to start with Lisa. Lisa, how you doing? Hey, guys. I'm I'm doing well. Trying to stay warm here in Indiana again. Um, <laughs> but it's a balmy 38 tonight, so I'm I'm super excited that it's such such balmy. a heat. Yeah, Paul me. <laughs> I haven't heard that word in a while. I like that one. I, mean, I think, that's, I all, I think that's all in lowercase letters too, right? <laughs> right. It may have air quotes as well. <laughs> so me. I like right. it. But it's good to see you all. You too, Lisa. All right. Next we have Rachel. Rachel, how you doing? Hey guys. Um, I am driving back to Orlando, but I'm happy to be here. Um kind of just hanging out in the background because I might lose connection, but I'll hop right back in. And I'm really excited to learn about you, Jim. Awesome. All right. Next up, we have Matt. Matt, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Barry. Really excited for the show to get the chance to talk to everybody and our guest. Get me in that Disney mood. So I'm very excited. Always, always. And of course, we leave the best for last i guess we'll go with that we have best. our we have we have our goofy doof himself jeff Wars. jeff how you doing i'm doing good and but matt said it well matt was like it's getting me in the disney mood just being here has just been nice and so all right i'm gonna i want to welcome our guest in my goofy voice Lord, hey, welcome to the most magical podcast in all the land. Yeah, our special guest is none other than the Disney expert, historian, extraordinaire, Jim Fanning. Yeah, oh, welcome. Oh, thank you. That's I think that's probably better than the being introduced in the Donald Duck voice. <laughs> <laughs> my Donald's not that good. You can hear. I can't even say it. My Donald's horrible. <laughs> they say it takes 15 years to do Donald Duck's voice, like to get it. Oh my gosh, I'm in year two. Oh, so tough. But Goofy is mine, you know. Yeah, that's your go-to, and that's, that's a good one. That's my, oh, well, that's my love. That's my it's passion. It's great to be here, and hello to all of you, and Rachel and Lisa, I didn't even say hello to you earlier when we first signed on. So hello, and thank you for having me, all of you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. All right, Jim, let's go ahead and jump in. I ask every guest the same question, and I'll ask you, so how did you fall in love with Disney? <laughs> well, I'm interested in this as well, because there is, is there anybody that doesn't experience Disney like from the start? I mean... You know, there's no escaping it, even if even if your mom and dad want you to escape it, there's really no escaping it as a child. But maybe, and I think most people do love Disney as a child, but I never stopped. <laughs> I think that's the difference. So I, I have always, always, always loved Disney. There, I cannot remember a time when it was just not the best thing that, that it ever, ever was. And whatever whatever it was. And I know I've told the story many times. I never even, I never even went to a Disney park until I was an adult. 
So I was, it was the, the TV shows and the movies and everything else, like, you know, the songs and the records and the comic books and the, you know, the coloring books and anything I can get my hands on. <laughs> so there's, there's really no uh, smoking gun, as it were, because it's just what I love. But I've also said many times that I, I think I really noticed it in school because we would see educational films and the Disney, the Disney ones were always the best. And it just kind of, you know, even as a little kid, I was like, well, wait a minute. Why, why, why are the Disney films the best? So I just started looking into it. And I guess that was the start of my, I not only wanted to experience the movies and the TV shows or whatever it was, I wanted to know who was Walt Disney. And then I wanted to know who were the people that worked with him. So that started super early for me and it's, it's never stopped. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things, you know, that you brought it up um, about, you know, knowing Disney and not really experiencing to your older in life, you know, um, I think growing up in Binghamton, New York, I kind of got the, the feeling that uh, Disney was kind of like that, especially Walt Disney World, was kind of like that uh, exclusive resort. I mean, you saw it on TV and you're like, you're like, there's no way I'm never going to go there. I mean, I can't, you know, my parents can't afford that. How, how would I get there and things like that? And I think looking through it and, you know, the first time I actually went is um, after I was married oh. and I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? This is what this is. Cause I remember going and holding, I had to hold on to my wife because I thought I was going to pass out the first time I saw the <laughs> castle on Main Street. And I was like, this is a reality. Wow. You're finally it's, there. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you, and, and you made a good point because it's like, you've seen the movies, you, you know, you've seen the commercials and it's just like, it really doesn't hit you until you're there. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure some of your listeners have experienced the same thing. But just in talking before we started recording this podcast, Barry uh, revealed that he was uh, his hometown is Binghamton, Binghamton, New York. And I went to Binghamton University and my hometown is Vestal, New York, which is right next door. And an even smaller town, we thought Binghamton was the big city. So, <laughs> so in our, in, and we, we, we lived in a pr pretty rural part of, um, I mean, overall, it's farm country overall, upstate New York. So just like you, Barry, I, I felt very removed from Walt Disney World, even, which, you know, it's relatively close being in Florida, relatively speaking. But, you know, I knew I was never going there because, my, like you said, same with me, my parents couldn't afford that. And probably because I begged and pleaded like every other day, why can't we go? They, they said, we're not, we're not, it's not happening. <laughs> so I knew it wasn't happening. And that, of course, I think that increased the appetite that made it even more of a special experience when, you know, when you and I went finally. Yeah. And that, that was actually my, the experience of my wife. So my wife, Hannah had never been to Disneyland or a world. And so, you know, I went a hand like maybe two or three, no, I went about three times as a kid. And so I had all these memories and, and experience. And, and so when we started dating and, and we got engaged, Actually, it was right before we got engaged. But anyways, we we planned a trip to to Disney World, and she had never been to either one of them. And I remember she goes, "I always wanted it. I always wanted to go here." <laughs> and it was such like a you could tell. I could just look in her eyes when we first pulled up and sat in line, you know, to to get our tickets punched or whatever, you know, to 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 enter in. And and she she started crying to the point where I was like Hannah, <laughs> I felt so like such a jerk. Like people were like looking at her, and I'm like, I was worried they're gonna think I'm like beating her or hitting her or something. I was like Hannah, calm down. Like everyone's looking at me. I'm like everything's okay, everybody. There's nothing to see here. 
But it really, what it really was, was her just taking it in as, as an, as an adult, you know, like I, this, I've always dreamed of coming here and she could see the castle. This is Disney world. She could see the castle through the gates and she was just mesmerized and, and, and brought her to tears to the point where I was like, Hannah, you know, I, I regret saying that. I wish now I look back, I say, man, I wish I just let her, just let her cry. Just let her, like, Hannah, don't, 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 everyone's looking at us. And I, you know, I was worried about me being selfish, but, <laughs> but, but that, but that moment in that, in that moment of seeing that, you know, especially that's a different, I would say this, this that is a different experience. You know, I, 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 I didn't grow up going to Disney all the time. You know, I went once when I was four or five, like right between once when I was 10, once when I was like 15, once when I was probably four times, four or five times, you know, before I was 21, before I was like 21. Um, but that, that experience when you first go there as an, as an adult is like, it's really, really special. And it's a different experience and it is, it is heartbreaking. And, and I mean that heartbreaking in a good way, not a bad way. It's heartbreaking. I think in a very, very, oh, very, very oh, good way. <laughs> you know, it, it is, it is because you see, you see this stuff for the first time and it moves you. And, and, and sometimes I think the most child, not ish, but childlike part that you have in your heart Boy, it's when you you've been dreaming about something and you're hoping and you finally get to see it, even if it's when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever it is. What do you guys think? Well, Jim, I agree with you because and what Jeff was saying is 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 facts. It's when that dream becomes a reality. It's like, you know, growing up and not, you know, seeing it and not seeing it, you know, wanting it hearing the music, you know, seeing the movies, seeing, and we all remember back then the commercials were the commercials. When they came on, you just sat there and you were just like, and your parents are just sitting there going, nope. And that's when your dad couldn't get the remote quick enough to turn the, the channel. So you, so you, you wouldn't bug them. And, and, and I think so, so, so Jim, let me ask you. So, you know, the first time um, you went, you know, and, you knew, hey, this is Disney. Uh, so, what um, what brought you to the realization that hey, I could I could do something with Disney? Well, the realization was just that I always wanted to do it. So, um, I I always wanted, I always planned on on working for Disney, and I was an artist, and I, you know I always took art classes and everything like that. It's whatever I could do all through school. But before I went to college, I kind of changed my mind. Um, I, I really didn't think that my art skills were what Disney, you know, up to a Disney standard. And that's what that was my only goal was to work for Disney. So um, looking back on it, in a way, I regret that, not leaving that behind. But I think I was right. If that was what I was going to go to them and be hired for, that that wouldn't have worked. I don't. I mean, you know, I don't know. But at any rate, so then I decided to um, take a film at Binghamton University. They have an excellent and very well known and very well respected uh, film school there. So I went there and took film, and I thought, well, I'll be a. I, I, you know, what else can I do? I'm a writer. And I love the Disney history. So I thought, well, I could write about that and maybe even write, you know, Disney productions or what have you. So I, I really wanted to go to Disney and write for the TV show and write comic books. Those were the two things I wanted to do. So I took film analysis. That was like my major. And that is all that's writing about film. That's all you do the whole time. You're not making films. You're writing about film filmmaking and film history. It's all we did. So that was perfect for me, I felt, because that's what I was going to do. And then when I um, came to Disney, I was very fortunate. The first thing I did was uh, comic books. 
And the second thing I did was write for the documentary series on the Disney Channel, Disney found my album, which was like writing for the TV show. <laughs> so I was very, very, very lucky. And that was the start. That was the start of it all in terms of my professional life. I mean, that wasn't my first job at Disney, but that's what I did in the field I wanted to go into. Uh, very, very lucky. So because that's what they were looking for at that time. So and that was my question. I'm like, I, I was, I was going to say. How did you posture yourself to actually get to, to acquire your dream, right? To like to to be hired by Disney. And and you said that they were actually looking for someone like you. So it seems like that was just this kind of synergistic thing. It, it happened. Yeah, so as, as, it, it, as it turned out. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think it was anything I could have planned, but the Disney Channel was starting and they and, you know, I had. I had done what I was supposed to do in terms of, you know, like get, yeah. getting put in the door, quote unquote, you you, right. you network. So I knew Mike Bonifer, who was the producer of Disney Family Album, and he knew that I wanted to write and he knew that I knew Disney and that's what they needed. They needed right. somebody who could write and somebody who knew Disney. Yeah. You know, I wasn't the only writer, but I did research all the I did the initial research for all the episodes and then. The comic book program was because uh, my uh, supervisor at the mailroom, which is where I was working, Shirley Bench, I, you know, she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I would love to write comic books. She picked up the phone, said, called Tom Goldberg, who was in charge of the comic book department, yeah. said, hey, I, you know, I've got Jim here. He loves comic books and would love to write Disney comic books. Wow. Phone, she said Tom would love to see you going up and see <laughs> Tom Tom was the greatest the greatest he was the greatest mentor and I, I every day I I use things that he taught me about learning but he was so kind mm -hmm. such a great gentleman worked with Walt had had known Walt you know and just the best gentleman kind I giving know. yeah uh so he that was a Working with Tom was a great, great experience. And uh, my life changed a lot when he retired <laughs> because he, I didn't have that then anymore. Yeah. So, uh, and luckily, I, you know, I mean, that was a long time ago. <laughs> so uh, almost everybody I've met really has been in that mold. But Tom was uh, in, a, in a class by himself. Man, and that, that so could anyhow, be in a nutshell, that, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. I was going to say that could be a whole other podcast like Tom be like what it so that that's a, that's sort of how we break things down sometimes we're like man my brain just goes and it you know the way that so we talk about Walt all the time you know the 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 philosophy of Walt how he his heart how he interacted with people that were so un, that was so unique so special and it sounds like your interaction with Tom right tom, tom um was was sort of like that and and which when he left he left a legacy behind that sort of like it's like a ripple effect you know you like you throw a stone in the water it's like boom and then it goes pop 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 but it, it reverberates right and yes. that, you see that with walt but it sounds like you saw that with tom like even yeah. how his legacy and his everything that he did it, including you really kind of had that ripple effect and what a beautiful thing for a life well yes and thank you and i think everybody that worked there felt that because at the time there were many many people still there that had worked with walt disney yeah so tom was my tom was my one-on-one -on -one. time i was very fortunate to becoming friends with the animators who were all, you know, from CalArts, and they had been trained mm -hmm. by some of the nine old men, primarily Eric Larsa. And then when I started to do these historical things, I was meeting and interviewing people like Mark Davis, all, all the, it, the, one of the great things, I'll just, I'll just say this parenthetically, one of the great things about Disney Family Album is we did episodes on Milt Call and Willie Reitherman. They died shortly thereafter. So, 
if if only we had been able to do that with John Lounsbury and Les Clark, who are the the least known of the nine old men because they died right before the whole wave of Disney history and Disney historians started. So there's very few interviews with them. But we got Milton and Wooly right under the wire. And then we had, thankfully, we had many years of Ward, Frank, Ollie, Eric, a few more years, and then many more years of Mark, so Mark Davis. So I got to know uh, a few of them. And Mark Davis, I've told this many times, Mark Davis and, and his wife, Alice, were very good to me. Um, they were very, very generous. But everybody was. You would you would call them and say, oh, I'm working on this project. Would you? And they were so generous with their time. And it was effortless, effortless for them to talk about Walt Disney and the whole Disney thing yeah. that they helped create. <laughs> right. And I was always stunned and unbelieving that it was happening to me, but I was not surprised. I was not surprised because I had already learned so much about the people that worked with Walt, and I knew that a certain kind of person gravitated toward him and vice versa. Yeah. So vice they, versa, yeah. They I were all they were all, you know, in, in, true gentlemen, you know, just very professional, friendly, giving, not at all selfish, always willing to help. And that's what you always read about. Yeah. When they were when they were creating these amazing animated move, these timeless classics <laughs> with their pencils <Yeah. laughs> down in front of a piece of paper and drawing them by hand. They helped each other. They yeah. it, it was all very giving and there was very, very little jealousy or, or you know, anything like that. Yeah. That's the kind of persons that that were gra that gravitated toward the Disney thing, and then Walt Disney himself. So when I met somebody like Tom Goldberg, I was not I was not surprised at what he was like. He was the exactly the kind of person I thought he would be. <laughs> uh, so and then it was true of all these amazing, amazing people. And, you know, just some of the, as we were saying before, maybe some of the lesser knowns even. Yeah. Not like the big names, like the nine old men, but some of the others. And then people like, you know, as, as we are recording this, tomorrow is the 65th anniversary of Sleeping Beauty. So I, I got to know Mary Costa. Mary has always been a wonderful friend to me. She, for those that don't know, she's the voice of, of Sleeping Beauty, the voice of Aurora. And... A lovelier person does not exist. And the way she talks about Walt Disney and the things that he said to her and the person that she is, you know, to this very day in her 90s, it's it's incredible, but not surprising. <laughs> I love that. I love that phrase. It's incredible, but not surprising. And we've had, you know, we've had so many guests that have either they've they've had secondhand or we've had a few that have like let me tell you the story of when i met walt and oh my gosh if i had a a, a a maybe a quarter i don't know what the going exchange rate is nowadays maybe maybe a dollar let's say a dollar for every good story i've heard of you know, where, where walt just bucked bucked the paradigm of business in in the sense of just treating people like facts and figures and numbers and he would just like walk up to, he's like, hey, you got talent. Yeah. And he would just say, hey, you. Yeah. You know, so so what? I, I agree 100%. And this is a very exciting topic because I especially think of the Sherman brothers who are another two that I got to know very, very well. Of course, Robert is gone now, but. Yeah. We had his son on our podcast, uh, Robbie oh, Jr. Right, had, right. He was wonderful. Yeah. But we love. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue. Robert Sorry. Cousins. Right. <laughs> As opposed to the Sherman brothers. Yeah. But yeah, so the Shermans are, are two that I was especially thrilled. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that they were aghast when I when they first met me, because I was just like so gushy and just so, you know, I said, Oh, I listen to your songs all the time and yeah. I write comic books and I'm wow. at morning when I'm trying to think of an idea, I put your songs on and it inspires me. And they were probably like security. 
So, <laughs> but but they, they are kind of a crystallization of the whole thing in my mind because they started with Disney with working with Walt Disney in 1960 and they were like 30. So they came to Walt Disney after how many decades of him being Walt Disney. And then they ended up working with the Night Old Men and Ken Anderson and all of them who had been working with Walt for decades. But they had brought a fresh perspective. And I think that Walt had a, a, had a fresh way of looking at them and dealing with them too, because they were so young and, 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 and you know, new blood. But that was his idea because they were they had been writing pop songs for Annette. Mm. And he heard some of these songs and, you know, suddenly he said to Jimmy Johnson, the head of the, the Disneyland record label, who are these brothers that are writing these cute songs for Annette? And he said, oh, yeah, they're Dick and Bob, they're 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 great. And he said, well, I maybe the, I why don't you bring them in? Because I think maybe they should be writing songs for some of our movies. So. Who you know? I don't know how many other studio heads were looking at the little pop songs that you know that were being done over to the side. So, but that was a that was an exact example of him reaching out yeah. and saying, "Yeah, you're writing these pop songs, but I think you can do something else." Yeah. And you know, the story is legendary of their first meeting with him. When they, when Jimmy Johnson called them and said, "Oh, you know, we'd like you to write a, a song for uh, the Horse Masters, which is a new, you know, a new movie we're doing for TV, yeah. and Annette's going to be in it. So, how who who would be more perfect?" And they were like, they hung up and they were they were like, "Oh my gosh, this is great! <laughs> what a great break for us." And then they hung up and they said, but who are the horse masters? Mm. <laughs> so they wrote three songs, you know, and they wow. wrote a fast song, a medium song and a, and a, and a slow song. And then they played the one they liked for Jimmy. And he was like, great, now we'll go meet Walt. And they were like, Walt who? <laughs> and he was like, Walt Disney. And they're like, what? <laughs> we're going to meet Walt Disney. <laughs> of course he approves everything. Yeah. Like, movies this was unheard of in hollywood and they had been around because their dad had been around you know their dad had been a songwriter for many 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 years he had hit songs in the 20s yeah so they this was like entirely new to them and they met him and they didn't even understand what was happening because he was like you know he heard their song said yeah that'll work and then i have this other property maybe you'd like to do a song like for that and then there's this other one and and every and you know their ideas he was like yeah mm-hmm. wow and they left and and jimmy was like well congratulations guys <laughs> they were like what do you mean <laughs> He's very enthusiastic yeah and he, jimmy was like oh no he bought one of your songs and gave you assignments for two more that's walt disney you know yeah that's the equivalent of somebody else doing cartwheels <laughs> so they had this unique relationship and there were a lot of creative people in Disney films that never met, n- not never met Walt, but never worked with him mm-hmm. to the extent that they did. Even the animators, yeah, they weren't in his office like every day and but to the extent that they were. So they, they, and, and I always tell Richard Sherman, he's my favorite Disney historian because he remembers everything. He had that kind of mind, that ideal, idyllic. Was it idyllic? Is that the word? Idyllic or whatever. The, when you were, when you remember everything. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. He's a natural historian. Of course he is a writer. Natural historian. Yeah. Uh, they, both, they both were, they, I mean, he primarily did the music and Robert primarily did the lyrics, but they also yeah. did. But it also helps when you remember when something bl- like blows up, exactly like they did. Right, and you walk in the door that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The day yeah. one, that, right. that <laughs> that's your experience. I know you're like. And of course, well, I think it's the greatest thing ever. Is that the very, very, very first thing he said to them was, "Are you two really brothers?" <laughs> <laughs> and you ima- said, oh my goodness, could you imagine? Right, popping in there and like your first experience, your first. Like 
you would have to you would have to be just latching on to all everything that happened and being like this matters this has to matter you know because i'm sure at the time like walt or or whatever it's probably like oh this is just another day in the office for me but something was happening that was bigger and more profound than walt probably knew at the time there's there's you know our goodness what you never knew with him no and there are times where walt was like yeah he was like flew over florida this before disney world he flew over florida he's like yeah that seems okay like there's times where he was so anticlimactic you know and it seems like other people around him knew that this stuff mattered hey i got to latch on to this history I need to, okay, this happened. Hmm, let me be a little bit more observant so that I can retell the tale. But Walt wasn't that way. Walt was like, yeah, I want that plot of land. You know, yeah. Walt was, it seemed like Walt was always in the bigger picture. And then there were beautiful, in a, and this is what I think is wonderful. There were other people under Walt that, that sort of, you know, ascended that staircase Walt Walt was in the bigger picture you know Walt probably wouldn't he would have been the worst at an autobiography because he would be like you know I did that thing and I just but what I was really thinking about was this bigger thing and that what was that I I don't remember but there's this bigger Walt is headspace was always it seems if I'm right I'm not saying I'm right but to me, it seems like Walt's headspace was always in this. And that's well, what made Walt great. But then there are other people below him that said, hey, what you're doing, let me take the details below the umbrella of what you're doing. And the fact that there were so many wonderful people doing that at, at the time and that they pass it on to other people, that's where we get these wonderful stories, including yourself, how you're a historian and 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 you take account these details that probably Walt himself probably wouldn't be like, Oh yeah, no, no, that's right. You know, but you know, the, the, I think you're right in a sense. Okay. Amazing thing is, is that I think he just knew and figured out early on how to, how to work it because year by year he got busier and busier. We all know that. Yeah. That's one reason the Shermans were astounded in 1960 that he was going to take the time to meet with two songwriters. Mm-hmm. Look what he was already doing in 1960. But I think he figured it out. And I think that's one reason he he was the way he was, is that he was, there was no small talk, despite what I just said about him asking them. That's <laughs> the first time he met them, though. Yeah. But there was usually no small, there was no small talk. And he was always focused, but he had the big picture like nobody else did, just as you said, Jeff. But also, he was astoundingly about the details as well. So it's a genius mind. Yeah. That we tried to compartmentalize, and it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Yeah. You know, over and over again, when they got into all the electronics with the audio animatronics, for example, you know, he said, okay, somebody from General Electric say, I mean, I don't remember exactly who yeah. it was, but I'm sure you've heard the story that he said, okay, to one of the Imagineers, General Electric's coming in. I, you know, I've got to explain to them how this thing works. Tell me how it works. So well, I forget who it was. They, they told Walt, <laughs> they took like half an hour to explain this very complicated thing. He just listens, doesn't say anything. <laughs> you know, the board of GE comes in, and in 10 minutes, Walt tells exactly how it works better than the, than the engineer had just <laughs> grasped everything, yeah. grasped everything. Yeah. But he did, you know, I mean, he built the animation studio and then more and more said, you guys do this. You guys do yeah. this. Yeah. I'm not sit and watch every bit of animation yeah I'm trusting you to do this but still <laughs> but you still yeah every every meeting every storyboard you know saw it all saw it all i love so, that and yeah. you answered not only my question but the question that i was going to ask next in that which was like <laughs> push back on me that's what i was going to say push like can you push back on that because there's a lot of people that we we interview that you always talk about walt and the bigger like dreamy picture of walt 
But we never really get to hear that Walt was not just, you know, we always hear Roy was that was that person who was more about the mechanics. He was always about the details, you know, but we always hear Walt as like the, the you know, Walt is Steve Jobs. And then Roy is Wozniak, is Woz, right? Like that's that's sort of how this story is told. And 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 I've I have to be I, I got to admit I fall into that sometimes. Like thinking of that history. Okay, well that's a nice way to say it. Like Walt was a big dreamy person, and 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 Roy was the detail person. And Walt wasn't good at details, but but Roy was. And so Walt, Walt needed was- Roy. Walt wasn't good at money, but on the other hand, he was. Yeah. But I think he cho- I think he chose not to be. Yeah. And and the 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 thing that he what it boiled down to is Walt said, We're going to do this project and it's going to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And Roy, it's your job to get the money. Yeah. So maybe he could have done it, but he, obviously his creativity is where it was at. But he was um, not good at money in that way. He was he was like, we're going to spend this crazy amount of money and everybody says we're crazy to do so. <laughs> yeah. He was bad with money that way. Yeah. He went through enough experiences that by like the 50s, yes, he was still very, it, they're going to do a project and they're going to do it right. But he would talk more about money in those days. And then there's the famous interview, which I think in the 60s, what has been your greatest challenge in, in building Disneyland. And he said, the greatest challenge is the same challenges I, I've had all my life. Money. <laughs> I never have enough. I and, didn't even know that. I have never heard that story. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I'm sure you can look it up because it's a, it's a print interview. It's, <laughs> it's, on, it's on camera, actually. I can relate to that. But it's been printed, you know, in various yeah. places. But anyhow, he said, you know, I never have enough. And I don't care anything about money except what it can do. I love it. And I love that you like, I wanted you to push back on that a little bit because it seems like there's this like dichotomistic sort of narrative that we get every time people talk about Walt. And and and, and I love that you being the historian that you are, that you were like, well, it's not quite that way. And I love that. I love that. <laughs> hey, I'm going to turn it over. I got, I'm going to, I'm going to leave for a second, but. We got we got Barry, we got Rachel, we got Lisa, we got Matt, and so I'm gonna turn it over to well, let's go, Matt. All right, I'll see you all in a second. Hey, Jim, love you, Jim. <laughs> I had to let Jeff go off there. He likes as soon as when Jeff gets zoned in on something, we gotta let Jeff go because he mm, usually. I gotta go. We'll see you in a minute. <laughs> but um. You know, I, I love hearing about Walt. I love hearing, you know, the history. I'm a history teacher. So whenever we get a historian on, I always kind of gravitate towards that guest. What is it about, I guess, just Disney in general that makes it worthy of a historian? You know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, so when I'm at school and I'm teaching, I'm teaching about the ancient Roman Empire and I'm teaching about this and that. But at the same time, I, I hosted, you know, a Disney podcast because that's one of the things that drew me to Disney. Um, I wasn't a huge fan as a kid. My wife was a big Disney fan and, and I, I got into it when I was older, but it was the history that hooked me. So like, what is it about Disney history? Especially now, right? They're celebrating their hundredth anniversary. They've been around for so yeah. long, but what is it that draws us specifically to, I guess, both the man, but the company as well? Yeah. Well, I think, for, I think it's, primarily is the man who is an amazing man. And anybody like that in history that you want to look at is going to be fascinating. And then, like we said, he drew people toward him that were amazing. And they lasted. I mean, you know, some of those guys were like with Disney for 40 years. Eric Larson for many years was the longest employee at 50 years. And then I think he was surpassed by John Hench for even longer. Mm. And then just recently, Bernie Mattinson. I think was died just a few days short of still working at Disney, <laughs> tired, still working at Disney after 60 years. So how incredible is that? But at any rate, I think that the world, the world, you know, film is the world of the arts for me. And all of that is worthy of, of a historian. And then if you look at film in the 20th century and the development of the Hollywood film, all of that is fascinating and has so much to do with 
business and culture and many, many other things. But Disney stands above it all, if only for this, Disney's define. Disney means something. There are still people walking in Walt's footsteps. You can't say that about any other film company. I mean, Warner Brothers also celebrated 100 years last year. Columbia is celebrating 100 years this year. They're still with us, those companies. But what do they mean? We can look back and say, oh, you know, in 1970, Columbia did this. Or in 1935, Warner Brothers did that. But only Disney has this identity that you can grasp onto. So for a historian, you can really sink your teeth into that and really look and say, why? Where did this come from? Where is it going? What's happening now? (laughs) All those things or any of them. So I think that's one reason. I mean, you know what? MGM used to be the greatest studio, you know, film studio in, in Hollywood and was for at least a couple decades, doesn't even exist anymore. It exists as a as an office with a name on it, and they yeah. own the James Bond films, and they will make <laughs> they do make new movies. But that's not what MGM was. So you can't say MGM is this. You can say what it once was, but that was only you know MGM the MG when we think of MGM that was only a few decades, right. There's no there's no overriding philosophy. So I think that's one reason. And of course, as we said at the very beginning, Disney's part, because Disney's so child friendly, everything, every child is touched by Disney. Hmm. What can you is there anything else you can say that about? I don't think there's a single thing, not even like religion. Probably, yes, religion, but there's all kinds of religions, right? So only only D- Disney's the only religion that touches <laughs> absolutely everybody. Right. I, you know what? I actually <laughs> I, I don't think <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually thought of it of it that way. You know, looking at the the child perspective of it and how it's almost like this every generation, right? It's not just like it's only the new stuff of Disney that reaches the, this new generation. Everything that they've done in the past also hits every new generation. Like I have a six-year-old and a one-year-old and they've all seen Bambi and they've seen Pinocchio and they've seen Cinderella, but then they've also, you know, the ones that I grew up with, with Aladdin and Lion King. And now he's watching, you know, he loves Wally. And I'm not even going to get into Star Wars and Marvel because that just opened up a whole other thing. And I, you know, I I can see Star Wars and Marvel behind you as well. And it's big in our house. So yeah, you know, that's actually a, a great point. It's it's something that does touch the next generation repeatedly over and over again and it keeps the history alive almost without us having to try very hard. I would I would say. But the thing that I do like is that we're seeing more of like the type of history that maybe like you're presenting to us where we're learning about the Imagineers and we're learning about how the attractions and the parks were built and we're seeing more about Walt and we're seeing Things that it's not the movie, it's not, you know, the your first person experience being on the ride, but getting to sit there and watch, you know, behind the attraction on Disney Plus or the Imagineering story on Disney Plus and having that history being shared with us and just readily at our fingertips at all times. So I, you know, and, and we, we were talking about how you were on, you know, you're a historian, you're on these shows and you're part of that whole keeping the history alive. Is there, I'm going to let somebody else jump in, but I always, I always ask our guests uh, when it comes to this part, you, you know, with all the books you've written and the shows you've been on and things, is there a dream story from history that you just want to share with people that you think is deserving of the next Disney Plus series or the next book? Like, what is something that we need to know more about? Well, yes, I think there's several. And if I tell them, somebody's going to steal these ideas from me. <laughs> but I, but I do think I do think the final frontier that has been so unexplored is the live action films, and mm. um, because the animation, there's there's it's a bottomless pit. There's no bottomless well. There's <laughs> there's no end to it to looking at it. And even in recent years, there's been more about the closer look at the nature films and so forth. Mm -hmm. And of course the parks. 
So many people are fascinated with the park. So many people have written and delved into that. The live action films, not so much. So the the greatest the greatest untold story to me is Bill Walsh. And for people who don't know, Bill Walsh was the writer producer who Walt turned to whenever there was a great project once Bill came into the organization, which was the late 40s, say. And when Walt turned to television, Bill Walsh. When Walt did the Mickey Mouse Club, Bill Walsh. When he turned to live action films, Bill Walsh. When he started making those zany comedies, Bill Walsh. When he did Mary Poppins, Bill Walsh. And what is perhaps not well known, which sums it all up, is that the day Walt Disney died, they came to Bill Walsh, they meaning Roy and the other leaders, and said, will you take over? Will you be Walt Disney? And he said, no. <laughs> it, it will... I mean, there's he had many reactions, but you know, no, is he, he didn't want to take that on his shoulders, right. I because he knew it would kill him. <laughs> <laughs> he, but he said, "I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, but I'll, you know, I'll help." That's where the infamous committee was was formed, mm. because oh. the if one man couldn't do it, then who could? Well, it has to be a committee of these people that worked with Walt, including Bill Anderson. Winston Hitler, others. So then Wal uh, Bill Walsh died, and Bill Walsh did have a heart problem. And he died relatively young in 74, I think, right around then. So the day that he died, this is literally true. Ollie Johnston said, I'm retiring because it's over now that Bill Walsh is gone. Walt was losing Walt was insurmountable. This is impossible. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How come well, I don't what, know anything about Bill Walsh? Say. Why? See, well, that's my point. It's your point. Yeah. The, the question was what story needs to be told? That's be it. Told. Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. I'm like, yeah. okay, okay. And, and that's not the 40, the old 49ers coach. Right. No. <laughs> no, but I, I, I want to know because because in this episode story. we heard, we heard both Jimmy Johnson and Bill Walsh. And Bill Walsh. <laughs> so my mind's going there. Yeah, let's get over football. We're not talking about so, that, Barry. Yeah. What you about know? what about Cotton Warburton, the great Disney film editor? He was a football star, and oh, so wow. touche. Here you go. Touche. So <laughs> touche. So. <laughs> yeah, right yes you've got you've got seven kids you can't be out on the, on the football field getting tackled every day getting set yeah. all right bill walsh i wrote down on bill a piece walsh. of toilet paper so yeah, now, thanks, now thanks to you guys somebody sharper and more self-promotional than me is gonna <laughs> no don't worry a lot of people don't listen to our show so you're speaking <laughs> nah, don't worry us, so. <laughs> so, be so, fine. so jim let me let me ask you before i turn it over to lisa so I know there was this big division for a while between Disney fans that, you know, when Disney was acquiring all this intellectual property, you know, first starting with Pixar, moving to Lucas, and then on and on. So, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you're you're totally eliminated the idea of what Walt had, you know, the streamlining of everything being, you know, in his in his control. And then he's bringing in, you know, then the people now are bringing in all these different entities into to the parks. Um, so what would you think Walt would, I mean, I, I'm assuming Walt would be, you know, thumbs up on it. That's more, you know, I'm reaching out to different people with different things. Uh, what's your view on that? Well, I think overall, Walt would not have been against it, but... What would Walt have thought of Disney being so big in the first place? I mean, not again, not being against it, but that was outside his experience. So he, you know, he died in 66. In 1965, he was saying to Julie Andrews, we're, we're this little movie studio out here in the cornfield. He said, you know, that because she was saying, oh, if only Mary Poppins had one best picture, which of course it should have. <laughs> and I don't say that, I say that from a fact perspective. 
Because why did Mary Poppins deserve it more than My Fair Lady? Because Mary Poppins was a completely original movie. (laughs) My Fair Lady, as excellent as it is, was the filming of the stage show. That's all it was. It's exactly like the stage show with just more elaborate sets and so forth. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. But does that make when you have this incredibly imaginative movie? So anyhow, that's another story. But (laughs) another podcast. It, to to in, Dis- in Walt Disney's time, and I don't know that he would have wanted it to be anything but because he wouldn't have been in control of it. It was a cottage industry. Every three years, they made these hand-drawn films. They were they were building a brand new park based on what they had done at Disneyland, which was all their own idea, all of it. We know this. There was there had never been a theme park before. There were elements of it, but most of it was. Even the elements that existed before, they took and made it their own and and ran with it. So, you know, I I don't know. I don't know. They wouldn't have had the resources in those days. And he want he, you know, the other thing about beside him being a genius and big picture and the details and all that, he's he was about control. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Wanted. Good point. And that's the other side of the coin of the things. Right everything that went into his pictures that the Sherman brothers were so amazed at. It was control. So do you think, do you, okay, I hate to interrupt you, but, but do you, do you think that was good or bad? Like in your historical perspective? Well, good because that was Walt Disney. Yeah. Uh, it's good because that's what he wanted to do. And he did it. I think anybody like that is that way. Yeah. I think, I think you have the, a vision. You got a plan. That's bad, but he did it. Yeah. You know, it's like when he called Herb Ryman on that famous Saturday in September, you know, 1953, I guess, maybe 52, I forget, and said, you know, Herb, we're gonna build, we're gonna build Disneyland and you need to draw it yeah. <laughs> by Monday morning. When he called her the the amazing, well, not the, not the amazing, but an amazing part yeah. of that story is when he called Herb Ryman on a Saturday. And said, you know, Herbie, I'm at the studio. What are you doing there on a Saturday, Walt? <laughs> well, it's my studio. I can be here on a Saturday if I want to. Herbie's <laughs> like, good point. Okay. Sounds good. Point. Walt Disney could do anything Walt Disney wanted to do, just yeah. like Charlie Chaplin could do anything he wanted yeah. to do. You know, and Charlie Chaplin was intru- it was interested in making a film like every five years, one film. Yeah. That's what he was interested in. Walt Disney was introduced interested in doing a lot more than that. A lot, lot, yeah. lot, lot, lot more than that. So without his uh, being able, you know, and I guess I guess you could say maybe he was spread too thin, but I mean, Sleeping Beauty probably took way too long to make because of that. But who's to argue with what were the what the results were? Right, right. So I love history. I'm like, I'm like. You know, I'm like Matthew here. What I, okay. So there there are historical figures once upon a time, like Walt Disney, that it just seems like they have this this historical calling on their lives. Like this, they have to do this thing. They have, they know where they're going. They, they have the plan and, and it seems like, you know, they always enfold other people into this plan. And they were, they, it's not that they were that, they weren't pig headed is what I'm trying to say. Like, I think Walt was pretty open-minded to say, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think? Do, do you think that like there, there are stories that we have of Walt that are like that. So Walt, I'm not trying to say Walt was pig headed. No, I don't but, think he was. But he had this historical like endpoint. It felt like he just had to get to this spot and his life was driven to this moment. Do you know, as are, are there other Disney? Here's my question. Are there other Disney people? It won't be on that grand perspective of Walt, but when you study Disney, are there other figures, other people that sort of have that same pattern where you can say, you can look at their history and say, wow, that person is kind of like Walt. 
because that person had this trajectory, this this pattern in their life, this history where, oh, they knew where they were going. In Walt's lifetime, you mean? No, just in general. Well, I mean, we get in, we, we're, I mean, I, I, I guess mean, we can all say we're like Michael Eisner. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a good one. So, sorry to bring. Uh, no, 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 no. I think, I think you're right. By saying that. <laughs> no, you're not. I think, I think you're completely right. I, that, that was that, Roy, like, he, no, you're right. Roy, yeah. he empowered him to awake the sleeping giant. And indeed he did. Yeah. I think he was like, okay, step back and I will do it. Interesting. I love that. And I think you you're right. Back, you're going to get stepped on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Well, Michael Eisner is, you know, some people do vilify him. Some, I don't know that. A, 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 I don't. Untoward, you know, number I do, but they, there are people that do, but he saved Disney. Yeah. Saved Disney. Now he saved it because Roy Roy E. Disney made that possible. But right. there would be, you know, we were talking about all the stuff about Disney now. None of, none of the Disney now would exist if it wasn't for Michael Eisner. And we it wouldn't have the Disney afternoon if it wasn't for Michael Eisner. <laughs> well, that's that's I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about day well, I am. And I'm like that. <laughs> I love you know how much I love the Disney afternoon. Well, he did a lot more than he, I know. I know what you're saying. I'm talking about the day he walked onto the studio lot. There you go. Okay. Tell me. Tell us. Well, you you know, there's been there's been like at least two books written about this. So yeah, it's it's too complicated to go into. But <laughs> Disney. That's why that's why everything changed to Disney because Roy E. Disney was saying we have to or it will be destroyed. Because it was going to be taken over and taken over for what purpose to sell it. Right. People that were going to take it over were not interested in any legacy or any parks or any, oh, the art of animation. Screw all that. They were going to say, we want to sell Disneyland. Uh, okay. Who's okay. the highest bidder? Oh, you? You who will tear it down and sell it for the real estate? Yeah. Fine, take it. Now, who knows if that would have happened, but right. I mean, who knows if they would have torn it down, but exactly. it would have been anybody with the right amount of dollars. Roy yeah. e. Disney was like, well, we have to save the legacy. This yeah. is practically a family run company, even though it wasn't. And we have to save the legacy and not only save it, but ensure that it goes on. Plus, why are we so sleepy? Mm -hmm. or movie studio we should be making 10 times the more amount of money we should have just by making movies yeah, <laughs> yeah. eisner i pick you yeah that's what Come happened and save it and he's like okay i know and i think <laughs> i think people that experience like so i'm i was born in 1984 i'm old i'm old but not i'm not old but i'm i'm old ish you know like i grew up you don't sound that old to me, but keep going. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you very much. That compared to me, you're not. <laughs> oh, like you. I'm young as young can be. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I, man, I, I think of, I think of my childhood. I think of the Disney afternoon and how, and I, I've, I've done a little bit of deep diving into that. Not as much, nearly, probably not as much as you have. But, you know, as far as, man, growing up and, and, and seeing Disney, I, you know, my parents would be like, okay, here's a video, you know, we'd pop it in the, the, you know, the, we'd watch it, the VCR, we'd watch, okay, all right, this is Disney, this is what I grew up with. But then I would turn on the TV and I would see the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I would see, I would see DuckTales, DuckTales. You know, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin. I would see the Disney after Goof Troop. Oh, gosh, that was the best one ever. You know, that one was the best one ever. It really, really, truly, to me, it was. And and it seemed like, so here's the Michael Eisner stuff that, that I, I sort of want to speak to is like, I'm not hating on the guy because there was whatever went on in that legacy was something that captured my heart to Disney, which was the Disney 
afternoon. It really, really was. It was a way to bridge the gap between Disney, the way that Disney, you know, I remember watching the Winnie, Winnie the Pooh and stuff and just being and feeling even as a young kid like this stuff. Now, that's not for me. This is for an older generation. Now, I appreciate it. But then when I would turn on the TV in the in, in a Saturday morning or or throughout the week and I would just see Disney stuff that bridged that gap. From what I've heard now, correct, push back on it. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that was Michael Eisner because he yeah, sort is. of bridged that gap between, hey, we got to keep the the sacredness of Disney. But hey, Disney like uh, DuckTales and then it just and DuckTales was uh, what uh, what I've heard was historically that was the big testing point to say okay let's give it a shot and then DuckTales was like wow people kids love this and then it was yeah. like Tailspin, Darkwing Duck, Goof Troop and that that trajectory just it was like a unloading of the stuff that like, a goofy movie, which is my favorite. My absolute favorite Disney movie is a goofy movie. It just is. I'm not surprised. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think there there was so much joy and love and and just good stuff that came out of the fact that not I know I know Michael. But, Eisner is, is is sort of a, a a figure who's you know either hated or loved, but goodness, can we stand here and say whatever happened during that time? Really, there's a lot of good good stuff. Like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that timeline. You can push back, everyone. Push back on me if you if you want to. Oh, okay. True. The the Disney afternoon is an example, and those shows is an example of day one thinking from Michael Eisner. There you go. There's this entire Disney television industry. Why are we not in it? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we can't do Disney animation in, in uh, the quality. We can't maintain the quality of Disney animation for TV. Find a way to do it. Yeah. And what, what can we do? Well, DuckTales. Okay. Or the, you know, the, Uncle yeah. Scrooge comic books. Great. Perfect. Perfect for a TV show. Roy E. Disney <laughs> said, yeah, but we can't put the classic Disney characters. That, of course, changed later. Yeah. Why Donald Duck is not a DuckTales. Because right. they were they were not. So that was the compromise. That's right. Because they were like, uh, we were, we're going to test the waters, but let's not test it too much to where we put actually Donald into this thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember, oh, yeah. They they entered a field they had not been in and made bazillions of dollars and were super successful. Number one, number one, number one. That's and Eisner was like, yeah, duh. That's what Disney should be. Disney should always be number one. You know, Eisner was the biggest Disney fan, the biggest the biggest Disney cheerleader, the big. Yeah. He was ridiculed for, you know, he would wear a goofy hat. He would put on a. Oh, a Last okay with me. Yeah, I know it is. So, but that is a huge, that is a huge, 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 huge story. Huge. So we are, we're only able to touch on it a little bit here. I know. And that's a whole other podcast, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to have you back, Jim, to talk. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm getting off, you know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the history of, Man, we could even just do a whole like Disney afternoon, yeah. you know, like sort of his, historical deep dive into certain topics. And and I didn't want to derail us. I hope I didn't do it too much. But well, I'm just no. We can talk about anything we want to talk about. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm yeah. just really fascinated. I don't know. It seems like you guys usually go for an hour, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're we're about done. We're probably about. What about we want to res- what we do is we want to respect the time of our guests. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I'd I'd be happy to come back and set aside more time than an hour. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I'll, I'll talk about this 
literally forever. I know. <laughs> we got to have you back. <laughs> this is Lisa. Yeah. Hey, Lisa, uh, go ahead. No, I'm kidding. Um, I just wanted to, I learned so much about you and your work on your website, Jim. Like you have, it's kind of like the go-to spot. Do you mind talking a little bit about your website? Let us know yes. where we can find you, what things you're working on now. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you liked it, Lisa. Um, I have my website, which is really sort of my online portfolio, and it's very, very out of date. But it is, there is some fun stuff to look at for anybody who wants to, and that's jim-fanning.com. So it's jim-fanning.com. And um, I, there's also my blog, which unfortunately, like a lot of blogs, is kind of inactive. <laughs> But um, there's quite a bit of material on there as well. And um, then the biggest thing is, and coming up on four years, I cannot believe it, uh, my YouTube channel, which is Togiwood awesome. TV. So um, hopefully there, you know, there's almost four years of videos on there and we try to post every week. So there's quite a few. And there's other things on there besides Disney, because I'm talking about anything that interests me. And I love it all. I love Hanna-Barbera. I love the Looney Tunes. Nice. I, I love, I love classic TV and classic movies. But it's mostly Disney. It's mostly yeah. Disney. And a lot, of my, a lot of my videos have been about things that I have collected, like comic books and Viewmaster sets and record albums. So I invite everyone to go to my YouTube channel and please subscribe and please share if any, you see anything you like, and I'm still trying to get the word out about it. So hopefully people will see it and enjoy it. We'll have to put a link to it in our show notes when we release the episode, Barry. Yeah. So we're, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, wrap up this episode. We want to thank Jim for coming on and sharing his stories and his Disney wisdom with us. And please check out Behind the Attraction and also check out Jim's books that he has written. Want to give out a major shout out to the Binghamton Bearcats. That's for you, Jim. So <laughs> but probably back then it was probably the Colonials. But um <laughs> right. Bearcats so, all the way. Yes. So musical. So, yes. <laughs> all right we want to thank you all for tuning into another wonderful episode of sharing the magic as always please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes and please tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to wonderful podcasts like this one you can also find us on all sh social media at sharing the magic pod and until next time keep sharing the magic <laughs>